The following program is proudly supported by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. involved in a car accident is at the very least a frightening experience. At worst, it can be a life-changing event that leaves a trail of destruction and devastation in its wake. Unfortunately, the many horror stories we've seen of people's lives being turned upside down as a result of road-related accidents don't seem to be deterring some drivers from taking unnecessary risks on the road. And we continue to see many drivers breaking road rules and engaging in risky driving behaviours, some unintentionally and others quite knowingly. Sadly, this means that the lives of individuals, families and communities continue to be profoundly impacted by the outcomes of these preventable and avoidable incidents year after year. Working off the principle prevention is better than intervention, we now see road safety authorities investing greatly into education and awareness campaigns targeting some of the driver behaviours which are contributing to many road accidents. This is where TUMFM's Road Safety in Focus series also comes into the picture, helping raise community awareness about road safety, road rules and some of the risk-taking behaviours leading to death and injury on New South Wales roads. As such, the objective of today's episode of Road Safety in Focus will be to identify the main causative factors in New South Wales road accidents in the hope that by identifying the cause, we can learn how to prevent. In that regard, it brings me great pleasure to be seeking some expert input on the subject by speaking to Head of Transport, Safety, Security and Emergency Management at Transport for New South Wales, Peter Dumphy. Peter, thank you for giving us your time today. Yeah, thank you, Ola, and thank you for inviting me along to the Road Safety in Focus series. The pleasure is all mine. Now, Peter, before we dive into the subject of road accidents and their causes, I'm keen to learn a little about your role at Transport for New South Wales and the kind of work associated with your position as Head of Transport Safety, Security and Emergency Management. Yeah, thanks, Ola. The role uh, is a quite a broad role, so we look at both externally focusing safety, so we look at road safety and community safety in terms of uh, safe driving on our roads. 
Uh, it also includes our maritime safety as well, so safety on waterways uh, and also safety on our public transport. And then we also coordinate um, crisis emergency management and our own internal work health and safety for the 130,000 uh, either employees or contractors who are involved in both um, provision of transport services but also building and transport infrastructure. So you do have your hands quite full. It's a pretty busy job, yes. You know, in terms of the job, you often encounter people that have the worst day of their lives uh, in terms of tragically um, road accidents uh, mm-hmm. from family members or, or loved ones. And uh, it certainly encourages us to do all we can to, um, to get that message out there and to prevent those from occurring. Of course. Now, it's an unfortunate fact that many people in New South Wales have lost their lives or sustained serious injury as a result of being involved in a car crash. Over the years and decades of studying crash data, are there any particular driver behaviours or causative factors which stand out as being key contributors to road accidents in New South Wales? Yeah, look, there is. And first, I just, I guess, say also that um, while nobody likes talking about road crashes, it does have a, a, a you know, devastating impact. So it's really on both families and uh, the community. So it, it is really important to talk about it and talk about what we can do. And doing that, it's really important to know what the risks are. And often we sometimes um, underestimate how dangerous certain things can be and the risks that we're putting ourselves, our loved ones, at um, by those um, factors. So the key risks that uh, contribute to uh, road uh, fatalities uh, mm-hmm. in New South Wales. Uh, speeding, driver distractions, that's through mobile phones or um, inattention at the wheel, through drink and drug driving, uh, it's through fatigue and um, not wearing a seatbelt. These are also known as the fatal five. That's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So if we were to talk about hard figures, what proportion of road accidents can be attributed to each of these key causative factors? Yeah, so if we just look at last year, uh, 2021, uh, tragically about 270 people died on our roads in that year. It was the lowest level in in almost 100 years. Uh, Numbers used to be much higher. They were uh, in the 70s, there are about 1,300 deaths a year. Uh, so we have seen really you know, huge advances in road safety and also vehicle safety, which has caused to a drop in those um, those levels. But yeah. currently we still see, um, uh, in terms of the top risk that contributed to the 270 died last year, the majority, about 40%, uh, from speeding. Mm. We also then have about um, 20%, which... Uh, to do with um, either drink or drug driving uh, or fatigue mm-hmm. uh, and distractions are also um, a significant um, number there as well. And then with seatbelts, over the last couple of years we've seen about one in six fatalities uh, where people have not worn seatbelts. So seatbelts have been a requirement for, um, for now 50 years. Yeah, I mean that's, that's something that continues to perplex me actually that you know after this amount of time since seatbelts have been mandatory for drivers and passengers in vehicles that people continue to you know ignore the message and to ignore the rule. To be fair, I mean, the majority of people wear seatbelts and, I mean, most of us who jump into a car would feel really unsafe if we didn't have the seatbelt on. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's a huge um, compliance, so most people do. Um, but it just goes to show how much of a life-saving preventative uh, um, measure uh, and control that seatbelts are. There's a very small percentage um, of drivers who don't wear seatbelts, but they're really overly represented in road fatalities and serious injuries. So it just goes to show... If, 
got a seatbelt and, um, and it's on, you'll have a much better outcome if you, you know, sadly do get involved in a motor accident. Yeah. And as you mentioned, speeding is seems to be coming out on top in terms of these contributing factors. Yeah, no, no speeding is the, um, the number one cause of um, fatality still mm. uh, in terms of our road toll. Last year there was at least, um, there was about 106 people who lost their lives on roads due to speeding, which was about 39% of our road toll for that year. And the key reason why it's such a, an important uh, area that some people need to be aware of mm. is that the faster you're going, the greater the impact of the crash. So that, you know, every kilometre you go faster, um, the impact if you do sadly get involved in an incident, it will increase the impact of the crash and, and yeah. make it more severe. There's, that really increases your likelihood of being seriously injured or even uh, killed in that accident. It means also if you do need to stop quickly, it takes a lot longer to be able to, um, to stop and you need a lot more time. You don't have as much time to react um, if you're going at higher speeds. So that's why the road um, speed limits are there to ensure that people can drive safely and minimise those risks. But as soon as people go over the speed limits, they're exponentially increasing their, um, their risk uh, should they you know, get involved in a, um, a motor vehicle accident. So I guess that kind of answers my next question, which of the contributing factors or driver behaviours are more likely to result in serious injury or death as it seems speeding is coming out on top of the list and really because of the impact and the speeds that are involved in these crashes that are resulting in some of the most serious injuries. Mm. And the other thing is I think people think speeding is, you know, if someone's excessively speeding out of the limit then that's where the, um, the serious yeah. occurs. But what we find is that um, people don't need to be speeding a lot over the limit and the majority, about two-thirds of all of our um, fatal speeding accidents uh, uh, in the road toll um, mm. relate to speeding that was less than 10 kilometres. So people might think, oh, it's just a little bit over. Yeah. We sort of call that casual speeding, but yeah. uh, it, it is um, just as serious. Uh, you know, the speed limits on roads are specifically there to ensure safety um, and going over those limits... Mm. Um, All right. Hold that thought, Peter, because we'll be talking a little more in detail about the issue of casual speeding. Um, So what bearing, if any, does the type or size of a vehicle driven have on the outcomes of a car crash in terms of survival, serious injury or death? Yeah, look, the um, the actual type of car that you drive is also quite important. So mm-hmm. there's a number of factors that go into a road fatality and um, and we look at it holistically because it's not only, not only the behaviours of the individual, it's also the vehicle that they're driving as well. So certainly the, the size and weight of a vehicle will have an impact during a crash and will depend a lot on the, um, the outcome of that crash as well. So it is really important to uh, ensure where possible when you're purchasing a car that you're buying a car that has a higher safety rating. There are for new cars, there is the uh, app system which rates all new cars, so it gives you that five stars to tell you uh, whether you know what the rating of the car is, and that's always very valuable for people to know. But we also uh, transport um, with its partners. We release um, every year a used car safety rating component too so that if you're buying a second-hand car you can also look that up and check the difference between safety levels of, of different types of cars that are on the market. Oh, right. uh, and it's really, really helpful I think when you're purchasing a car to um, to check that out to 
see that um, the, mm. the cut you're buying is some um, the, the, the higher safety you can get for the money that you're wanting to spend in terms of that, and it's, it is useful to know. Certainly, there is uh, quite a variation between um, different makes and models, and even within a particular make, there's a quite a difference between models. Yeah. The other thing is we know that um, you know as cars keep um, evolving, the safety features on cars continue to improve. So, obviously, more recent cars will. Um, have a lot more safety features which are very uh, help in terms of reducing the um, uh, the likelihood of a road trauma. Yeah, definitely worthwhile. Now, Peter, there's I find there's a common perception in the community that the larger a car is, the safer it is. And it's probably been reflected in the number of 4x4s or larger cars that we're seeing on New South Wales roads in recent years. Does this necessarily ring true based on the information that you have? Well, it's um, certainly, again, different cars will mm. have different, um, uh, depending on their safety features, but a larger car doesn't necessarily mean a safer car. Some of those, you know, in terms of stability, some of those are more likely to roll. People feel, I think, a lot safer in a bigger car, and that's mm. why some of people choose those. But without checking the, um, the, the safety rating of it, the five-star rating, you won't know whether it's safer. The other thing is um, driving a larger car can also sometimes create um, risk for other drivers in terms of and pedestrians. So uh, it doesn't mean driving a larger car will necessarily make you or the um, community safer in terms of okay. driving. And certainly smaller cars um, can also achieve very good safe outcomes. All right. I guess that's exactly the point that I wanted to clarify, just so we're clear that um, it's not necessarily always the fact that a bigger car means it's a safer car. And just before we move on to the next point, um, where would you direct people to go if they wanted to check the safety rating of a new or used car? Yeah, well, if, if you just Google the Centre for Road Safety and go to the site, there's lots of information there to provide you with that information and links to the second-hand um, safety yeah. rating, but also the new car safety rating system as well. So certainly jump on the um, Centre for Road Safety website and yeah, it's got like, tons of useful information, yeah. Yeah. information on road safety. Yes. Now, according to a study conducted by the University of New South Wales, drivers under the age of 25 are overrepresented in motor vehicle accidents. They make up just 15% of the driving population, yet make up 21% of drivers in New South Wales involved in a motor vehicle crash. Peter, are there any other groups which appear to be overrepresented in crash statistics? And do you think this is an accurate observation in regards to the age group? Yeah, look, there's a couple of things that we see there in terms of demographics. Yeah, certainly that um, under 26 age group is um, overrepresented in um, road fatalities. And as you talk about it, uh, it's certainly for the number of people who are driving in that age group, it's a, a very large um, overrepresentation in, involved in fatal crashes. So, yeah, we, we saw over a three year period from 2018 to 2022 that um, while under 26 made up only 14% of licence holders, 20% of um, drivers involved in fatal crashes were under that uh, under the age of 26. So certainly is a group and mm. certainly experience. Um, and I, I think also not necessarily being as familiar with road situations yeah. lead to that. But also uh, we just know that when we're younger, we are greater risk takers. So there is also that aspect as well, um, which are represented the other thing I think um, in terms of groups that are overrepresented, we did see between 2020 and 2021, 
there were a couple of age groups that experienced uh, significant increases. So one was the age group between 40 and 49. So it's not just young people, it's, uh, mm. it's the middle ages as well. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we see that um, particularly people having a bit of a midlife crisis and buying a motor bike at a later age. Yes, yes. And not realising that, um, you know, with, um, with motorbikes, you do need a lot more, you know, there's a lot more active um, driving in terms of um, the skill of um, being able to manoeuvre a, a bike. And mm. um, as you get older, the, the, you're not necessarily as, as able as you were when you were younger to do that. Mm. Uh, so, yes, so that is something. We also saw in the age group 40 to 49, in 2020, there was uh, 33 deaths that inclined to 42 deaths last year, even though last year was the lowest level. That was one group mm. that significantly increased. The age group 60 to 69, and again, that's sort of that midlife crisis, I think, area has uh, again increased from 23 fatalities in 2020 to 36 in 2021. So the other thing to look at there, I guess, is also fatigue. And as um, people get older, things like sleep apnea mm. become more issues. So can um, easily fatigue a lot easier, particularly if they have medical conditions. So yeah. really managing fatigue is an important part. The other, I think, area is that um, we've seen a reduction in the number of, um, of women killed on the roads, which is welcome. Uh, from 2020, there were 79 uh, deaths related uh, to women on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, that reduced to 61 in 2021. So there has been a reduction so I think um, what we can sort of take from that is certainly the higher risk group are, are young males. Very interesting observations. Uh, what trends in crash data have been observed over the last decade or so? Are motor vehicle accidents increasing or decreasing? And what factors have influenced these changes? Look, I think there's a couple of things that we've seen, certainly um, in terms of um, trends. Certainly the availability of improved uh, technology has made a big difference. The other thing I think to note there is also, we, you know, people have become a lot more aware of road safety. There's been lots of campaigns to remind people. All of those things have really uh, done a lot to drive down the number of fatalities um, on the road. Yeah. The, um, the other, I think, important areas are the fact that there's been a lot of effort gone into improving roads as well so that um, they are safer for people to use. A couple of things that we've certainly seen is that there's been a reduction in head-on crashes, so that's... Um, fallen significantly yeah. from what we saw in, you know, probably 10 years ago where we were sort of averaged about, uh, about 100 per year. That's now down to about 40, and that's a 60% reduction in head-on crash. That's, I think, largely due to both technology, which helps people detect when they're um, changing lanes mm. or, or from their lane, but it's also uh, the road infrastructure has certainly improved. Uh, we've seen improvement and crashes in the metropolitan area and again that's uh, I think probably a couple of things driving that one is uh, improvement in roads but probably also because of the greater volume of traffic in the metropolitan area there's, there's less opportunities to speed. The, um, the fatalities from crashes on curbs has dropped significantly over a 10 year period uh, from what used to be about 187 per year is now down to about 110. So, Peter, can you give some examples of existing road safety technologies or inbuilt car safety features which already have or are likely to make a significant difference to road safety in the future? Yeah, look, um, road safety technology has come a really long way. So um, I know I've been around long enough to remember when there was very little in the way of um, road safety technology and the only technology we really had was seatbelts. That's right. That that, um, evolved into um, airbags, which Mm. made a big difference. Um, Both of those were 
significant improvements. But what we've seen in the last 10 years is a really significant escalation or improvement in digital technologies as cars have become smarter. That includes things like um, uh, autonomous uh, emergency braking, which provides user sensors to detect some um, obstacles ahead uh, and to warn us as drivers um, if we're approaching at a dangerous speed and can stop um, crashes or prevent crashes through that technology and uh, is having quite a beneficial impact and, and benefit in terms of, um, of road safety. The other one is the one I talked about before, which was the Lane Keep Assist, is again just about, um, there's a couple of things there. One, we've got the technology there, which um, helps you stay within the lane and, and um, alerts you if you are departing from the lane. But yeah. also the physical changes we've made through the rumble strips on the side of roads, mm-hmm. which is an audio tactile alert to let yeah. people know that they're departing from the lane that they're in. There's been a lot of um, effort gone into installing those in roads as well. And they certainly um, do alert. They do, don't they? Yeah, yeah. they wake you up. And, um, and again, that um, has been useful in terms of fatigue as well as, um, you know, when people may be um, feeling fatigued and start to... Um, to, to drift, to, yeah. Drift, yeah. <laughs> the, the other technology is um, the electronic stability control, which now is um, quite a, a common feature in many um, vehicles. And again, it detects what if a, if a vehicle is losing control and it... Um, acts on each individual wheel to help the vehicle straighten up and prevent that um, loss of control and the um, potential for a crash. So again, really helps people in terms of being able to drive the car more safely. Again, we've picked those up in our used car safety rating program so that people can see where they can make a safer pick in terms of what's a better choice that may have some of those additional features as well. Yeah. And for those people who possibly may not be able to necessarily afford a car with all the fancy bells and whistles, there are other external kind of um, road safety technologies that uh, I found to be quite useful, in fact, and one of them is the Speed Advisor app. Yeah, no, look, the Speed Advisor app is really a very useful um, tool. It's totally free. And again, um, it provides you with alerts in terms of um, the speed limits for particular you know, as you're traveling. So yeah. again, that is a really useful feature and something that um, is well worth getting. And uh, yeah, it's free. So I um, certainly encourage people to jump on and use it. Yeah, I found it particularly useful in school zones and during school zone hours where many people forget what the time is or they're traveling through an area they're not familiar with and they don't know that there's a school zone there and i find that the alerts are coming very very handy yeah that's right the alerts are fantastic and it is a really useful way to be aware of what's going on and um, ensuring that you've got access to all of the information that's um, useful in planning trips yeah now peter complementing road safety programs and technologies are a raft of road safety education and awareness campaigns targeting risky driving behaviors including those we've identified as key causative factors in the majority of road accidents what role do these campaigns serve and what techniques or strategies do you use to make them more appealing to the audience yeah well look i'm there's been lots of different uh, campaigns over the years and road safety, there's been a lot of effort in um, road safety campaigns. In terms of the different approaches, we do do a lot of testing to see which campaigns have an impact and um, whether they're cutting through mm. in terms of the um, the key messaging uh, and certainly do a lot of um, uh, research and evaluation to make sure that the campaigns are having the impact that we want. There are, um, you know, people will be very familiar with some of the campaigns that we've done, whether it's um, the Plan B drinking campaign, people would be 
familiar with, um, we've done the Don't Trust Your Tired Self, the Driver Fatigue campaign. There's the Stop It or Cop It, um, which is, again, particularly trying to um, eliminate um, risky or illegal um, road behaviour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also... Keep um, your hands off it. That was one of the... Keep your hands off it, yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's lots of people will remember it. Um, the casual speeding every kilometre counts is also mm. another one that we've been running more recently, which is trying to um, change people's behaviour about speeding at low levels, um, because as we know, that um, that does actually um, uh, have a significant impact on the road toll. So we've used a lot of different ways. We do evaluate and um, do lots of testing to try to get the messages out. Um, and of course, those that really do resonate, we um, continue to use. Okay. Now let us dive a little deeper into the Casual Speeding Every K Counts campaign. Can you explain what is meant by casual speeding? Because I think that terminology may not be clear to some people about what is meant by casual speeding. Yeah, so really in terms of this, what we're trying to get across the message, and I think people have grown up thinking, oh, if I just go a little bit over the speed limit, that's with intolerances and um, mm. that's okay. Yeah. But people um, have, um, I think we've also grown up thinking, oh, you can just go over a little bit and it's not going to make a difference. Mm. We know from the research and we know from the evaluation of road uh, incidents that it does make a difference. Every time you speed over the speed limit, the greater your risk to yourself and to your family who may also be in the car. Mm. So it is really important that um, people actually stick to the uh, signposted speed limit because the signposted speed limit has been determined as the maximum safe speed, not the minimum. Mm. And uh, it is really important that people observe that. So, the, yeah, the casual speeding campaign is to make people realise that, you know, just going a couple of kilometres or mm. you know, three or five kilometres over the speed limit is speeding. It's not um, not seen to be just the tolerance. Um, it's important that um, people stick to the um, the actual signposted speed limit, and also just drawing attention to the fact that two thirds of our um, speeding fatalities are mm. uh, going at speeds of under ten kilometres. And I just don't think people are aware of the risk they're putting themselves at by just going over the speed limit by small mm. amount. But it does have a huge impact. As I said, it it makes it very harder your, your ability to um, to actually act um, mm. and prevent something from occurring if something does happen on the road is much diminished the faster you're going. Yeah, this campaign would be quite relevant to the people who assume that, you know, just because the speed limit is, you know, 50 or 60, that that's not really speeding, you know, because you know, what's mm. 50 and what's 60? Speeding is when you're on a freeway. 110 is speeding. 50, 60 yeah. is not really speeding. No, and that's right, and I think that's the whole purpose of the campaign to remind people that it's at any speed limit um, yeah. going up. Uh, you know, there's reasons why we have 60-kilometre zones and 50-kilometre zones, and that's often because they are highly populated areas or mm. um, trafficked areas. There's more pedestrian safety risks, and if you're speeding, it's much harder to react and to prevent um, the strike of a pedestrian if somebody loses their um, focus and walks out onto a road um, or a child um, yeah. runs onto a road in you know, built-up areas. So uh, it's not just driving on country roads at mm. uh, 100 kilometres. It is yeah. actually in built-up areas where there are children and we know children can be quite unpredictable yeah. and uh, forget um, themselves sometimes. And you Absolutely. need to be observing those rules so that you can actually respond and react to prevent a tragedy. Yeah, that's right. People are a lot more likely to encounter un- 
unexpected surprise in front of them on the road in a residential area than they are on a motorway. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Peter, is there anything we haven't covered that you find important to add as we conclude this discussion? Yeah, look, I think they're probably the key things. Um, the other one I would just say is around fatigue and um, fatigue. And um, if you've been awake for 17 hours, it can have the same impact on your ability uh, and your comprehension and your um, capability as having an alcohol level of um, 0.05. Wow. So, again, it is really important um, not to drive when you're fatigued um, to plan your um, trips so that you aren't driving when you're fatigued. The other thing I think just to mention too is that driver distraction and um, we have seen you know, a significant increase in things such as mobile phone usage uh, and people using phones while they're driving does have a really material impact on your driving. So if you're, yeah. um, even if you're driving at 60 kilometres, look at your phone for just a couple of seconds, you'd be travelling 33 metres virtually blind. So, wow. um, and again, we just talked about you know, being able to react if something happens. Yeah. Tragically, um, we see far too many casualties and deaths from uh, people who have just been quickly looking at their mobile phone and been distracted and tragically um, resulted in a um, either a serious injury or a, a death on the road and um, yeah. since 2012 we've had 21 deaths from people who have been using their um, handheld mobile and there's been 308 um, you know, serious injuries so it um, is really important for people to remember it's just not worth risking your life or someone else's life just to check a phone, an email That's message right. or um, an SMS. We're all in the habit of just always checking to see if there's something on the phone. Mm. But you do need to get into a different mindset when you're in the car and, and recognise that that's not a time to be doing that uh, and to put it away so that you're not um, distracted by it. Really, those three seconds of looking at your phone are not going to be worth a lifetime of you know, suffering with injury or with the idea that you have uh, caused the death of someone. Mm, absolutely, yeah. And, and we forget about that and we think, oh, it's just a quick glance. But yeah. it, tragically, it does have really um, catastrophic um, consequences. Yeah. Three seconds, which could have consequences of life-changing proportions. Peter, in wrapping up this very sobering discussion, and it really was sobering, I want to thank you for both the time you've spared for this interview and the eye-opening insights you've provided from a professional perspective. It's been great talking with you. Well, thank you. and lovely to talk with you too, Ola. And I think the other thing I think just on a positive note to leave with is that our road tolls are going down. So we know that by doing these things, mm -hmm. you will prevent um, serious injury. You can protect yourself and your family. And the majority of people are doing that because we're seeing that in the um, the road tolls on continually to drop, which is um, which is great. We've got a target of zero fatalities um, by yeah. 2050, but it would be nice to get to that sooner. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Well, all the best with all your future endeavours, Peter, and keep up the good work. One day we will hopefully approach something close to zero, at least, if not zero. Absolutely. Thank you.